Today on The Girl Defined Show, we're talking about four popular myths that Christian women believe about biblical womanhood and why God's design isn't nearly as dull or wimpy as we think. All right, y'all, we are going to be really honest with you. We've been having quite the conversation before this podcast started, and I was thinking back to our journey here at Girl Defined and kind of where we started and where we are now. And I think we were both realizing that we've become a little bit like, I don't know, gun shy to talk about these topics and a little bit, I personally, I feel kind of like afraid or scared Mm. of, you know, saying something wrong or um, like... I don't know, people making fun of me for saying the wrong things. (laughs) Has that ever happened before? (laughs) So I don't want to be held back by that, though. Yeah. Like, I really want to dig into the topic like we're talking about today because I know, um, I mean, that's kind of how Girl Define got off the ground Mm -hmm. because maybe we were a little too bold. (laughs) I think you would agree a little bit. Like, we didn't have a ton of wisdom when we just said whatever came to our mind and we're like, we're going to say it like it is. Like, we're going to be... We had a lot of passion and I think a lot of the right heart, but... You know, you start to enter into some topics that are very controversial. I mean, biblical womanhood alone is a very controversial topic. And then you get pushed back and you get different opinions and you go, ooh, that's that's an uncomfortable place to be to talk about controversial things. And I know in our personalities, we joke about this. Like you, this is Kristen speaking, (laughs) you, Bethany, you kind of like a little bit of controversy and like you get in there and, you know, people can say mean things about you and you're like, okay, whatever, move it on. And I take it a little more personally. It sits with me. I think about it. It keeps me up at night. And so, um, I don't know. Just our different personalities, yeah. I feel like we're kind of learning how to balance that and like be bold and speak truth yeah. and and like enter into dialogue, like totally. engage in conversation, even if we disagree. Well, and I think that's what you, you know, as the listener want from us. You don't want us to shy away. And even if we don't say everything perfectly, which no human person is going to Nobody. because we're just, you know fallen people and you know in five years the culture will change so you you that's the thing too i think is like you might look back like in five years from now we might look back but that place in like our society will be in a different place Mm -hmm. and so at that point we might look back and say oh we would have said that differently but at this point right where we are in time we might say it how we do now you know so it (laughs) is going to be time stamped and i you know the one thing i have realized though and i was just telling you this Kristen, Mm -hmm. we are like completely canceled, you know, like in every sort of way from like, I mean, that's, you know, cancel culture. It is real. And I hear tons of podcasters who I listen to, you know, kind of on both sides. They say like, yeah, cancel culture is is real real. and it does impact you. And I have felt it on a personal level of people going and attacking like sponsors or people I work with on a personal level, even here at Girl Mm -hmm. Defined. And so it's like, yeah, you do lose things in a sense and it might look differently, but that's not really why we're doing it. So I feel like we should be unafraid and just go for it. Amen. (laughs) And people saying that you're canceled and then trying to cancel you in different ways doesn't mean that you really are. And that's the thing, you know, like just because people say you're canceled, you're done, you can't speak that doesn't mean we can't speak it. We have the freedom still, praise God, in our country to speak truth, to speak biblically. And that's exciting. And so instead of people saying you're canceled and then us canceling ourselves because they say that, saying, actually, no, we're not. We still have a message. We have things that we want to share. Our opinion matters. Our viewpoint matters. And let's dialogue and conversation. Like we want to have a conversation about that. And if you want this sort of conversation and what we've been talking about so far on The Girl Defined Show to continue to happen and you're like, yeah, I want to have a loud voice for what I want to see. And, you know, often we complain loudly about the things we don't like, but we don't encourage and praise the things that we do. And so if you want The Girl Defined Show to continue on and you really do like it, we want you to get loud about your encouragement of it because that's what helps it spread. That's what helps it continue on. And the best way that you can help defeat cancel culture and defeat those loud voices who don't like certain things is by 
by kind of speaking your praise. And you can do that by leaving a five-star review for this show or even leaving a comment saying, hey, here's why I like this. And that might sound weird for me to ask that, but it really is the best way for you to help this message spread. And I'm going to make a promise to you that we are going to strive to be bold and unashamed in you know, our preparation and our words. And we are going to try to glorify Christ the best we can. And we are going to try to bring you content that is you know, kind of like cutting edge and unafraid. Um, and as our way of saying thank you for leaving that five-star review, we have a free gift for you. We have a free 30-day devotional, which will help you be rooted in the word. And you can get that for free at girldefined.com slash devotional, girldefined.com slash devotional. And that's just a free download as uh, download as our way of saying thank you for leaving a five-star mm-hmm. review on this show. Yeah. And can I just say a huge shout out to some of our recent reviewers? We actually read your comments. We read your reviews. We love to hear from you. Um, and one of you titled Truthful and Fun said, love these beautiful girls. We love you too. <laughs> they bring truth from the word of God as well as make it extremely fun to listen to. I am glad they are here shedding light on places no one talks about. Love you guys. God bless. Aww. We love you too. Truthful and fun. Thank you so much for that um, that comment. And so yeah. we read them. We even read the negative ones. We we want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback. We want to hear ideas that you have about the show, about uh-huh. topics you want us to talk about. Um, so thank you so much and know that we do see you. Yeah. And we have been um, listening to our podcast back as well so we can learn and grow to make this the best podcast for you that we can. Something else really exciting that we have going on. It's actually the last time we're going to be offering this course live. We offer an eight-week mentorship course, which is basically like a program, an eight-week program where you get to dig into what it means to be a Christian woman. You get to dig into truly understanding God's word, understanding who God is, understanding just how to interpret scripture rightly, how to really apply scripture and even like counsel your own heart. We're going to dig into in that course, um, dealing with personal struggles, dealing with sexual struggles, dealing with the battle of, you know, trusting God in areas where you've had unmet desires. We're going to help you figure out how to find an in-person mentor, as well as teach you how to mentor a younger woman in your life. We have in this course over 40 videos that you can access that we've created for you. We have weekly Zoom calls where we get to interact, talk to you face-to-face, answer your questions. We have a private Facebook group exclusively for every young woman and woman who does this course. And now this course is officially starting on January 11th, 2021. Registration will close for good January 10th. So you really only have less than a month kind of to register for that. So if you want to join us, you can go to girldefined.com slash mentorship. And if you want to ask for it as a gift from someone, that's a great thing to do as well. We do have a gifting option. So if you want to ask an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a parent, like a really good friend, like, hey, can you get this for me? Um, It would be such an investment into your life and into your future that you will never regret. Mm -hmm. One of the things I know girls love about the course is the community and having like a community where you can talk about things and wrestle with things that you're dealing with as a Christian woman and have girls come alongside of you, praying for you, encouraging you. And that's truly that community is a little taste of what we're trying to have here on this podcast, right? Where we're talking about things that aren't really talked about in a lot of places. And right now, this topic of biblical womanhood and myths that we believe, we are like, we want this to be a conversation where you're entering in with us. And whether you agree with everything or disagree or relate and you're like, yes, I've been there too. This is, we want this to be a safe place for us to have these conversations. And so with this topic of biblical womanhood, it's something that over the years we have wrestled with. For sure. Um, We grew up in a Christian family. A lot of you know that. We have an amazing mom, a wonderful example. But as we've grown up, you hear a lot of things in the church. You hear a lot of things in society. You're reading God's word. 
you know, we're reading God's word ourselves and we're trying to interpret like, what exactly is biblical womanhood? And I know that culturally what often happens is you live in a culture wherever your culture is, you know, whatever it looks like for you. And then you read God's word and you go, oh, okay, culturally, I kind of have like my cultural lenses on, my glasses on. And so everything I read in God's word, I interpret through what I'm seeing happening in my culture right now. And so what often happens is that it becomes more of a cultural biblical womanhood and not a timeless biblical womanhood. And so I think that's often where a lot of the myths come from is that we're interpreting God's word through the lens of our culture versus just taking it at, you know, like what God's word actually says and doesn't say. And I know that's something that we have like really wrestled with over the years. Well, and I would say that it's really hard if you have to put a definition on it. Like what is biblical womanhood? Okay. (laughs) Made in one sentence. I'm not going to lie. I'm actually about to (laughs) do a guest podcast after this one. And they emailed me and they're like, okay, we want to unpack biblical womanhood and we want to really get down to the practicals. Like what is it and what isn't? And I'm like, that is hard, you know, like, especially because I don't know what questions they're going to ask. And it, it is hard, even though I've written a book on it. Obviously, we have Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity, where we dig into the topic of biblical womanhood, even though I've written an entire book on that topic <laughs> when I have an interview or when we have like a podcast like this coming up. I always feel like, oh, wait, what what exactly is it? So I don't know for you listening, if you had to describe biblical womanhood, like, what would you say, you know, like if you really had to put it in a yeah, nutshell, what would you say? I mean, you asked me, but let me ask you. Oh, biblical Kristen. womanhood. It's the essence of being a girl defined by God. What? <laughs> now, what does that even mean? It's like well, so flowery. I was talking to someone the other day on a podcast on their podcast and they asked me to describe femininity in one sentence. And, and what did like, you say? I told her I could not describe it in one sentence. I said the best sentence I think I could come up with is like the essence of what it means to be a woman, right? Versus a man, femininity yeah. versus masculinity. Like hey, the essence good. of what it means to be a woman, that's femininity. But okay, let's unpack that. <laughs> We're not going to unpack femininity yeah. specifically, but it is hard to capture. But you know, in Christian culture, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about more specifically, the world has its ideas about womanhood. I mean, yeah. and they're getting crazier by the day. Like you, it is so hard to even culturally, like secularly define womanhood because oh. it, it means anything you want it to mean. Now. It's up to personal interpretation, you know, and kind of... I don't know. I feel like there is no, there's nothing special about being a man or being a woman because anyone can be anything and yeah. it's kind of up to personal choice. And so it's, you almost wonder like, mm-hmm. why do we still have that? Why do we, why do as a culture, why do we still put those labels on? Right. Because it's so, seems so like fluid, mm-hmm. I guess, like, and it seems to be changing by the day. Yeah. Which very I think confusing. devalues it, right? Yeah. When, if anyone can be anything, it devalues those distinctions yeah. altogether. Yeah. But Christian culture, um, you know, there's still a remnant clinging to God's word saying God's word is the authority. We want to know what God's word says and we want to live according to God's word. We want to honor him. He's our authority above anything else. You know, in Christian culture, there are misconceptions about womanhood and lies that we've bought into. So we're going to unpack some of those. And we want you to be thinking as we're talking through these, like, where do you stand on this? What do you think? Are you buying into this myth? Is this informing like either your pull toward womanhood or your push away from biblical womanhood? Because it really does affect that the way we live. So yeah, totally. And I think that these myths are going to clarify what true biblical womanhood to the best of our interpretation with scripture actually is. So hold on tight. I have my coffee here. If you hear loud sipping, it's because I need I need this extra boost of caffeine. Which people today. are probably listening going, you don't. You're talking way too fast. Stop drinking caffeine. Hey, they have like the half speed option. Turn it on if you need to. Okay. So one of the first myths that I think I have heard and I have personally believed as a Christian mm-hmm. woman is this, the myth that biblical womanhood turns you into a wimpy doormat. That if you embrace biblical womanhood, that you are going to basically like mm-hmm. put your brain, put your life down on the floor and you are basically like anyone or anything. I yeah. am at your mercy and I will have no opinions, no thoughts. I will do nothing. Like you 
know, spineless. Okay, where you know. this is a popular idea, where do you think it comes from? I mean, I it's, think in some ways, yeah, but I think it also like just from my own heart, even mm. I can think because we aren't we aren't naturally drawn towards God's word. Yeah. We aren't naturally drawn towards um, understanding, and you know, like that's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. And so I think naturally, my sinful self, it's like I want to do what I want to do, and I want to be who I want to be. And so it's like, oh no, God's word and who He says I should be is probably mm. like probably the worst thing, you know. Yeah. And oh, I am naturally, you know, a very you know energetic go getter. So this probably can't align with biblical womanhood. So, uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to put my entire personality on the floor if I embrace. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it's just like, for me, it comes from my own mind, you know? That's true. Like, in our flesh, we rebel against God's word. Yeah. (laughs) We don't want to embrace it. We don't read it and go, ooh, in my flesh, I want this. Like, I just want to listen to God, submit to his word. It's like, ooh, no, I want to do my own thing. Yeah. Like, I want to be autonomous. I want to have my own way and be my own leader. And so, yeah, yeah, I would say there's some of that that comes from, like, no, I want to be this sort of strong woman. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I don't like what I'm seeing in scripture of maybe what God's calling me to. But I would say also, I would say there's, and we're going to get to this in a second, but huge misconceptions conceptions about manhood and womanhood biblically. And I think often when we read Genesis and we see, oh, the man was made first and then Eve and she's called a helper. And then we see, um, you know, different distinctions in Titus and in marriage, the way that we're supposed to reflect our womanhood, to reflect the gospel, like different things that we say and go, oh, okay, that seems like, oh, even the word helper, I know it's yeah. like so controversial even yeah. to say it. It's like right there in the Bible, like, okay, yeah, we can unpack the original meaning and it's actually beautiful what that means. But I think we see words like that yeah. and without looking into them deeper and trying to understand what they actually mean, we go, ooh, that sounds weak. Yeah. That sounds wimpy. And so all of womanhood must be just this yeah. weak role where I'm just like serving a man constantly. I have no brains. I have no backbone. I don't have opinions. What I think and do doesn't matter. Um, I'm just this like little weak helper yeah. and that's my whole purpose in life. And so we take, you know, we blow that up and then, yeah, that version of womanhood isn't one I would want to embrace. Like if that's womanhood, no, thank you. Thankfully it's not. And when you hear sayings like, I don't know, you know, I was actually just watching an interview, uh, a TED talk actually of a girl who she was saying like, I left the, you know, extreme fundamentalist Christian stuff. And of course I'm sure she left a lot of, you know, things that were not true and not biblical because they're always extremes. But she was, you know, saying some of these popular ideas and saying like, I'm a feminist and I believe the radical notion that women are humans too. You know, and so when you hear stuff like Mm -hmm. that, you're like, oh, she's saying she came from like a Christian you know, family. So I guess Christians believe that women are less than, that women are doormats, that yeah. women aren't. So I feel like in society, when you hear stuff like that, even just a term like, oh, it's this radical notion that women are people too, then you think, yeah. so who's believing that women aren't people? And I love that we're going to get into this because when we dig into scripture and we see the way that God pray, you know, uses these women's lives as examples of what true womanhood is all about, I think it's yeah. amazing because if if we actually read these stories and understood them, I think our these myths would so quickly disappear. Yeah. Okay. So who are some of these women? Let's talk about them because I think we need to look at scripture as a whole and yeah. look at good examples, like positive examples that the Bible gives us negative examples. And we see some really positive ones yeah. of women that if I could have half as much guts as some of yeah. these women, like I'd be doing pretty good. So Esther, obviously, like an amazing example of a woman that was smart, hardworking, talented, gifted, like so much guts. I mean, yeah. but not in her own strength. And that's the thing that biblical women it's a humble reliance on the Lord to yeah. be strong. And so God wants us to be strong women, just like these women were talking about here, but strong women for his glory. So you see Esther, um, you know, I'm sure in and of herself, she was like terrified. Y'all know the story to go to the king to speak up about what was really happening with her people, the Jews, to say, hey, there is this 
you know, Haman and that your court, he wants to kill all of my people, but here's the truth. Here's who we really are. Here's what happened. Here's who I am, my yeah. identity. She boldly goes to the king, risking her life, knowing right there on the spot, he could say, you're a dead woman. You cannot enter my court. And she does that, like talk about yeah. guts and gumption. But she, what did she do first? She went to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. She fasted. She prayed, seeking the Lord's strength and wisdom to make these decisions. And so there's a woman, I don't think any one of us would say she was a weak, wimpy yeah. doormat. I mean, she was courageous. She was bold. <laughs> she was strong. She was standing up to like the most powerful, like, evil yeah. man on planet earth at the time like, when you talk about like cancel culture and being afraid to speak truth yes. talk about a woman who put it all on the line like when you she could have been canceled your life actually. like your head yeah. is off so i think that's an, an amazing example and literally god saw it fit to put an entire book in the bible about her to that. uphold that and then another woman who has an entire book in the bible is ruth um and she is an amazing woman who went through extreme hardship you know losing your husband at a young age and then following your mother-in-law into a foreign land where you know no one to literally in a culture where women weren't you know didn't have the rights to really provide and take Mm -hmm. care and ownership of land and everything like that she was like no i'm not going to stay in my comfort zone where i can get married and have those rights to you know um you know a husband and land and all of that and protection yeah she was like no i'm going to protect my mother-in-law and so i'm going to follow her into her land where i don't know what's going to happen and so she was literally willing Mm -hmm. to work so hard working in the fields not knowing the future to take care of and protect this woman that God had put in her life. And so I think that she is an incredible example. It then goes on to marry Boaz. She's just an incredibly bold woman. So if you go and read in the book of Ruth, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And then, it, um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible story. Her faith, her fearlessness, her yeah. just she's really incredible. And I I don't know, I feel like so many of us don't face situations like that where we're going into a foreign land with absolutely no rights to be able to do anything. It's just, I can't even imagine. Yeah, and I love her heart. Like her passion was to want to serve and worship the one true God. Yeah. And so she saw a glimpse of that through her mother-in-law, Naomi. She learned about the God of Israel, essentially, right? Like this Hebrew God. And she's going, wow, that is not what I have here. Like in my land, it is so pagan. We worship these stones and statues. And I haven't seen power come from them. I mean, she followed Naomi into this land and for the purpose of what you just described and to want to serve and worship the yeah. one true God. And you just see, wow, we as Christian women are called to follow God wherever he leads us mm-hmm. with boldness in him, with fearlessness in him and and humility. I mean, her role in those fields was a very humble yeah. one, but she wanted to be in a land where she could worship and get to know the one true God. Mm-hmm. And I mean, wow, talk about talk about an amazing yeah. woman. There And there are so many more. We have Rahab from the Old Testament who is in the lineage of Jesus. Um, we have Mary, the mother of Jesus from the New Testament. I mean, you just go back and read her story. She was probably a young teen or even, you know, earlier, as many theologians assume. And she, you know, ends up being the mother of Jesus by this miraculous conception of, Mm -hmm. you know, the Holy Spirit. And it's just amazing her response to all of that. Just saying like, you know, like, I am your servant. I'll do your will. Like, have your way in me, Lord. And, you know, that... That is just a hard role to fill. And what an honor, too, that God Mm -hmm. chose. He created women knowing that women would be the one to bring, you know, the Savior of the world into the world, Mm -hmm. you know. He could have chosen a different way and had a, you know, in his own, you know, back in creation, he could have done something different, but he didn't. And we don't even stop to think about that. Or he could have just chosen a woman. He could have come out of the sky, glory, like, I'm the king, you know, coming down to earth. Like, he didn't even have to choose to be born and come in in that way, but he did, Yeah, which is so 
incredible. I mean, we could go on and on showing pictures and examples of women in the Bible who were anything but doormats. But over and over again, what we see is it's a heart posture. So God, you know, biblically, we're not to just pull up our bootstraps and, you know, make it happen in and of our own strength for our own name, for our own purposes. God's saying he's calling us as women to be strong, to be courageous, to be fearless, to be smart, to be educated, to be passionate. But all of these things were done in a humble Mm -hmm. reliance upon him. We're saying, God, your will, not my will, your way, not my way. Help me to be strong, to build your kingdom, not my own. And that's the heart posture that needs to be behind it. And when I hear those, those stories of those women, like, I guess for me, it makes me think, okay, so why, where do I get these ideas that women are just like wimpy or should be a doormat? It's like, these women had a heart posture of wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to be used by Him. And I think that's when I have that heart posture, it actually motivates me to be a bolder, wiser, mm. more courageous woman because I see, wow, God, He wants humble servants. You know, He wants anyone who is willing to. Um, mm-hmm. to live for him and make his name great. And he is plays no favoritism. You know, yeah. he will use men, women, humble yeah. circumstances, great circumstances. Like he does not play favorites. He doesn't. And we don't have to compete against men in order to be valuable, which takes us right into our next myth, which this one is one of my favorite. But it's the myth that biblical womanhood assumes women are less valuable than men. This is a really yeah. popular one. And I think in some ways I have probably totally, the most popular. probably, I've totally bought into this because scripturally we see those distinctions and we automatically think that the distinctions make one less valuable and we think that's the woman, right? Like, oh, we see in Genesis, okay, Adam was made first. Like we just talked about, God gave him roles. He gave him responsibilities. He gave him jobs. He was doing that on purpose to equip the man to be a leader, to be the things that God is calling him in the family. Okay. But then the woman comes along. So we see Eve, she enters the scene. Um, and we often see that story and think, okay, well, Adam was made first. Like, okay, he was given these roles and responsibilities. He must be more valuable yeah. because of the roles that God had given him. Um, and then we think, oh, so the woman must be less valuable. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know like how these lies keep perpetuating like in culture and even in my own heart. I think sometimes I push against that. Like you were yeah. saying with the first myth that in our own flesh, we don't really want to embrace for sure the distinctions because we also in our hearts by the lie that like, okay, if he has a different role, it must be better. It's kind of like yeah. the grass is always greener. What the man is called to must be better. Yeah. And unless I can have that role and live out that distinction, um, you know, that part of like what God has called the man to that. I'm not as valuable. And so in my own heart, I find myself fighting against that in my flesh all the time, like even in my own marriage of like, oh, well, we have to be exactly 100% doing all the same things in all the same ways in order to be equal. Yeah, for sure. But we know that equality doesn't mean sameness, right? Like that's that's the feminist movement. Like to be equal, we have to be the same in every way. Well, and I think as a Christian, we need to go back to that passage in Genesis and think, okay, was only one of them made in the image of God? The frog in my throat wants me to stop talking. (laughs) Just start croaking. I'm like, (laughs) Um, you know, was only one of them? No, it's very clear that God made both of them in the image of God. And the almost like the pause, the dramatic pause before Eve was made into existence is incredible. You know, like things were good, good, good. And then all of a sudden things were not good. And there was this incomplete picture. And so you see that both were made in the image of God. Both he he made to take charge and care for the land. And he created both as a necessary like compliment. compliment and difference in order to like, you know, populate mm-hmm. the earth. You know, you needed both. You couldn't do it with one or the other. Both are completely necessary. And then he chose the woman to be the one that actually miraculously brings life into, you know, into the earth. And obviously there was the fall. So things are a little bit more complicated right now. I cannot wait for the future, you know, Eden restored when 
we won't have to deal with all of this, but I think that it's really important to slow down and remember that we are both equally valuable, but purposely different. Mm -hmm. Difference does not mean less than. And like you said, sometimes when we strive after sameness, it actually takes away from the uniqueness Mm -hmm. and the specialness of our differences. And now you are the queen of giving this like example, you know, the the flower (laughs) example. But I kind of feel like in some ways, you know, just like God created so much difference and diversity in our world. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of all the flowers, you think of all the trees, just nature and just, you know, the sky and the clouds and the, you know, the glorious stars and everything. Mm -hmm. All of those different aspects of our earth, we look at those and we praise them and we say, wow, God, you are so amazing. You know, even the rocks cry out and praise you. But then we look at our humanity and we say, God, why did you do this? Why did you create us differently? We must be less than. We never look at the stars and say, like, the stars are more valuable than the ocean. Like, those are just (laughs) ridiculous. They're so different. They bring such different beauty to the world. They bring such different like importance to the world. But for some reason in our sinful flesh, we want to question God, just like you Mm -hmm. did back in the garden. Like, God, did you really say that? Are you really good? Instead of looking and saying, God, wow, you made us both in your own image. You made us different so that we could better serve you and glorify you and bring such amazing awe to you Mm -hmm. with our differences. We want to complain. So I think if we take a step back and realize how ridiculous that is, we don't do that about anything else. I think we'll realize that this truly is such a myth that, you know, men women are not less valuable than men. They are just different. And that is mm-hmm. a really, actually beautiful thing. It is a really beautiful thing. And this is something uh, I feel like there's so much more we could get into. And we do dig into this in our book, Girl Defined. But just like those differences, this, I mean, we have to admit that, or like be honest about the fact that sin has totally marred um, our manhood and our womanhood. Yeah. Right? Like when God made Adam and Eve in Genesis, it was perfect. They lived out their roles and their their distinctions perfectly. Like Adam was clearly, like even to this day, biology, we see, okay, the man on average has more muscle mass than the woman. Like mm-hmm. he was made with this physique that was just naturally stronger at a base level. We see God giving him roles and responsibilities, preparing him for leadership. Then we see in the New Testament, oh, that the, the husband is called to be the head of the family, like Christ is the head of the church. But in our sin, there have been problems that have come from, sure. from the man being stronger, like taking advantage of women, abusing, like, I mean, so awful, we, horrible awful, things horrible that the Bible things. and we do not condone it does not stand condone. against. Yeah. And so I think in some ways, like women have risen up to say, well, I, in order to be strong, in order to be as valuable to have as much purpose, I need to be like the man. Cause I think it's been, um, it's been distorted. distorted it's been yeah. used wrongly. Yeah. I mean, lived out wrongly because of sin, it has impacted it. So we yeah. have to acknowledge that and say that the pictures of manhood and womanhood that we often see, even in the church, sadly, That's often true. in the church of leadership being abused, of men not treating women, um, you know, in the loving honor, way yeah. that, yeah, we see in Ephesians, like, okay, if you're supposed to be Christ as the man, that representation, Christ laid down his life. He yeah. sacrificed, he pursued his bride. He cherished and nurtured his bride. Like imagine if that was the relationship yeah. between men and women and women respected men came alongside them as equal partners um, serving and building God's kingdom like complementing each other in our distinctions like that's the picture that God had in the beginning but it has been so marred by sin that we often look at examples in our own families and our own churches and go that's messed up like I don't want that like in order to be valuable I have to change something I have to do something different but what God God's word is timeless and in his word we see this beautiful picture and we have to get back to that and go yeah sin has messed it up but God wants to redeem that and as we each men and women pursue him individually together in marriage just in our churches in our communities and embrace our distinctions biblically not culturally um i think that we really will return to that beauty that we see in genesis not perfectly this side of heaven but we'll see a glimpse of that beautiful picture god was trying to make in those distinctions and i would really challenge you as the listener to turn to scripture for yourself and see how god 
talks about women. I would encourage you to go to the New Testament and notice the way that Jesus actually treated women rather than just taking our word for it or, you know, continuing believing myths or lies or just your own perception of what biblical womanhood is. Go to the scriptures for yourself. Go to the New Testament, especially the first four books where we see Jesus' earthly ministry and him on earth. He has several interactions with with women and he was so countercultural, so incredibly loving and compassionate and treating women in such a way with such honor and decency and respect and really, you know, kind of shaking what was even normal in his day and age. So I really encourage you to go to those first four books and actually kind of read up and and look for yourself. We never, we want you to be like the Bereans, you know, like we want you to dig in for yourself. We want you to be a woman of the word who knows her theology. Um, We're just here to kind of walk aside you, buck alongside of you, um, but we want you to be a woman who goes to the word for herself. Mm -hmm. So currently, as we record this, we're standing inside my closet. (laughs) We're inside my home. And I think sometimes people think, oh, well, good. That's a woman's place. Like she Ah! has to be inside the home and that's the rightful place that a woman needs to be. And that takes us right into our third myth. I know that was like a really random transition. (laughs) As she takes a drink of coffee so that she can talk a lot faster. But really, that's a huge myth that biblical womanhood traps you inside Mm -hmm. your home, right? If you are going to embrace biblical womanhood, you are going to be basically chained to your sink and your stove, and you're going to be And your toilet scrubbing it, not not sitting on the toilet, toilet, scrubbing the toilet. (laughs) Staring into it so you can see those dirty spots. The man does all, takes, does, gets to do everything, and you just are there on your knees scrubbing the grime away. Yeah, he's out adventuring the world, and you're inside. And this really is a popular myth. And um, and so I think we see a huge response of this kind of vision of womanhood. I think the feminist movement pushed against this in some ways, like, no. And we see these extreme responses of like, okay, well, if that's what womanhood's about, I'm doing the opposite. I'm going to get as far away from my home and basically stay outside of my home as much as possible and find all of my worth, my success, my purpose outside of my home. Because yeah, the last thing I'm going to be is a doormat chained to my sink, right? I I do think though, like, the church has um, had a like not a biblical approach to this. Mm. I think we've seen two extremes. Like you just described, like okay, I'm gonna you know climb the corporate ladder because I do not want to be in that position. But I do think that, and I feel like I've heard I heard this certain places growing up where it was like okay, a woman's place is inside of the home, and just you know like you are only glorifying God if you're in there raising your children. You know, like kind of just doing the whole mom wife thing, and that's completely what it means to be mm-hmm. you know a, a, a godly woman. And so almost like you're godlier if you're inside yeah, yeah. the door, yeah. like inside the physical home. Yeah, like the no matter what's home. going on inside the home. Even yeah, if you're like not a faithful mom, you're not really like you don't really you're care not about joyful, your you're a big nag. <laughs> yeah. But you're inside your home. So just proximity wise, like that's the godlier yes. option. And I feel like that's a message I totally. kind of felt was taught sure. a lot of times growing up. Well and I feel like the biggest eye opener for both of us was mm-hmm. we really did and I think that's the balance. Like God does uphold those roles and he does have a lot to say about that and we're about to dig into that in probably Proverbs 31, some amazing stuff. But I think for both of us, we came to like face to face with that reality when like I wasn't getting married and you, God was not giving you Mm -hmm. the blessing of like physical children that were in your home. And so these ideas that we had upheld, I think to an extreme and almost Mm -hmm. idolized of, okay, marriage and family and having children is kind of like everything. And that's what it means to Mm-hmm. Um, be, you know, a woman um, that, you know, that was kind of a, a problem for us. And so I think that 
we really have to stop and look at scripture and see, okay, what is a biblical view of the home and what Mm -hmm. does God actually say about women in the home? And I think that Proverbs 31 is one of the most beautiful passages. And whoever uses Proverbs 31 as a means to kind of like trap people inside their homes, I don't know if they're actually reading Mm -hmm. the passage Mm -hmm. because the Proverbs 31 woman is one of the most ambitious, go-getting, you know, wanting to seek to take care of her family, women that we see in scripture. Like she is literally amazing. I don't, I don't know if she was for sure like a real woman or like a picture. I think she was an example. I mean, she's like too perfect. (laughs) She's the perfect woman. But we do see this amazing picture. And I think that if we take scripture at its word, you know, we try to take our cultural glasses off a little bit, like I was saying earlier. And instead of saying, okay, culturally in Christianity, traditionally, like the godliest place is in the home. And we go, okay, well, what is Proverbs 31? What is this picture? Now, don't hear us saying that the home isn't important, that the home isn't valuable, that the home isn't an incredible place of ministry, um, a place that women should care about. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying there's been two extremes in society where women are like, okay, they don't want to um, be, you know, living under this vision of like chained to the sink. So they run from the home. And then the other side of women who are saying the godliest place is, you know, to be inside your home, no matter what's going on, as long as you're inside your home, it's godly. We're saying neither of those are really where the Bible lands us. And so as we take God's word at his word, um, we take off those cultural glasses. We try to see what is God's word saying? We do see a picture that I think would offend both sides. They'd be like, wait, what? And then, you know, both sides would be kind of like, oh, if we actually took it at face value and we're seeing a woman in her culture, a woman who, like you said, was very ambitious. Um, She was working hard. She was even like making some like real estate deals, like selling and buying. Well, I do want to read a few verses just because I know that we, you know, we I've memorized this whole passage, but I don't often stop and actually think about what in the world it's actually saying, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't let it sink. So it starts out, Proverbs 31, 10 says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth more, far more than rubies. This part, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then it starts to get into all the things that she does. And you can kind of translate this maybe into, you know, what that could look like if she were a woman in our day and age. It's it's amazing. She, she It says she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's not lazy. She's not just sitting around. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and a portion for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Like Miss Real Estate Woman here. Like, okay. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she's literally like making money, getting deals going. And then she, you know, makes a, a vineyard and plants it. And it goes on and on. But the really cool part about this passage is it's never about herself. It's never ultimately about making her name great, doing all of this for herself. It's all about the people that God has put closest Mm -hmm. to her, which for her is her family and the people under her. And she does all of this, all of this hard work that continues to go on and on. Um, She does it all to glorify God and to take care of Mm -hmm. and love the people around her. And the last verse goes on to say, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise Mm. at the city gate. It's like, that's crazy, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I don't know if I lived in light of that passage, I feel like I would be like extremely ambitious in whatever season, place, time God has me in, whether that looks like, you know, working so hard to raise the, you know, any children that God chooses to give you or working hard to come alongside your husband and help take care of the, you know, the the people that he's put in your life. It's like she is a very ambitious, mm-hmm. ambitious very hardworking, very go-getter type of girl. Yeah. So I think that she's anything but a woman who is 
tied to her home in the sense of like, all I can do is scrub my toilet. No, she mm-hmm. is like making deals and striving to do the best she possibly can to take care of her family. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, who knows what her home even looked like? Like yeah, physically, like what did it look like? We, you know, here in America, we have our lens of like, oh, yeah. this is the home. Um, you know, it things just every culture, it's so different. And so that's why we have to step out of our culture and go, what is God's word saying? What is the timeless application? And um, yeah, I think Titus does give us a picture. I'm not going to, we're not going to get into that passage, but we do see this picture of older women teaching younger women. And some of the things that older women are actually called biblically to teach younger women is to love their husbands and children yeah. and to, to take care of their home, to be women who like cultivate a love for their home. And I think that's the difference. Like our home shouldn't be an idol. It shouldn't be our identity where what happens in my home is is like makes me godly or not like that's just like a self-righteous like a very legalistic perspective of the home um or like i'm escaping my home because i can't stand it i don't want this i need to be successful and to be successful i've got to get out of my home it's like those are the extremes but i think as we see in titus this call for older women to teach younger women these things they're saying love your husbands and children like the proverbs 31 you know work hard for your family um but like value your home you know we see that call like it says work at home i know there's different translations doesn't mean only stay in your home always but really to have a heart for your home. And that's something I will be honest in my marriage, I've had to cultivate because like culturally there, you know, I feel like I don't believe the lie that my worth and value is defined by what I do in my home, but I feel like I'm more drawn to the idea that to be successful, I have to get out of yeah, my home, right? Totally. Um, even like doing something on my computer in my home, but it's like, you know, online. Yeah. It's like, I've got to do something else to be successful. And I think in my own heart, I have to fight against that to say, totally. no, my worth and value is found in Christ and whatever work I'm doing, I need to do it for his glory, yeah. for his purposes. Um, but I do need to cultivate a love for my home. And so yeah. I have to work at that. I'll for be sure. honest. Like I have to, to work at actually seeing value yeah. in doing the dishes. It doesn't define me, but God's calling me to work at all things for his glory. And so if I'm doing the dishes, like, Lord, help me in this moment to do these for your glory, to value this <laughs> little labor, the, dishes, please. <laughs> the laundry, like anything I'm just doing in my home to actually see the value of that. Like this is also serving and glorifying God as I work heartily unto him in my home, out of my home. Yeah, it's just yeah, a balance. For sure. And you know, this, these all of these myths that we're unpacking, they are deep topics. And that's why we wrote an entire book on this. So if you're like, I really want to dig into this deeper, I really encourage you to go grab a copy of Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity, because obviously a podcast is like 40, 50 minutes and our book will take several hours to read, which gives you just more passages mm-hmm. to go and look up. And yeah, you know, we have a whole chapter called Hardworking Women Doing It Right in our book, Girl Defined. And I I love that chapter. One one week we need to do a whole episode on that alone. Like how to be a hard working woman doing it right with that biblical balance perspective. Yeah. Go check that one out. So the last myth myth we're going to unpack today is the myth that biblical womanhood's greatest goal is marriage and motherhood. And this is what I was kind of referring to Mm -hmm. earlier where we had to come face to face with this, both of us actually, um, because I think this is a myth that we totally bought into Mm -hmm. and totally believed that the greatest goal, the greatest achieving moment in yes. our lives will be that, like our trophy moment when we get married and mm-hmm. when we have children. I mean, I think both of us, wouldn't yeah. you say, totally yeah. bought into that? I would say totally. And I think it came from a good heart. Um, this isn't something our parents like taught us. I think it's just you start picking up on these ideas because you the Bible does value marriage mm-hmm. and it does value children like so much that I think we can misplace our greatest goal as believers with a, a purpose and calling. And a purpose and calling for many is marriage and for many it is having children and raising those children. But like you said, I think somewhere along the way, 
Mm-hmm. Like culturally, that maybe it was like the fifties, right? When like women, like after the industrial revolution, women were staying home, and so they were really like in their homes just all the time. And it kind of I don't know if that's like the era when it became the greatest purpose of a woman is to get married and have children, and that's like her crowning achievement. Yeah, um, I don't know exactly, but biblically, I do think we take that blessing and that wonderful gift of marriage, which it is such a high calling. Both are so good, but we have put it up on a pedestal to say this is like you said, it's the ultimate. The, it's like the ultimate. Yeah, but that's not actually the ultimate. Yeah. And I know I came face to face with like reckoning with this area of my kind of idolization of marriage, Um, you know, when I was going through breakups and not getting married and, you know, my mid 20s and my late 20s hit. And I started to think like, okay, well, am I a complete woman in Christ? Do I have complete purpose? What if I never get married? And then I would see other really godly women who were single. Um, I think of like Carolyn McCauley, who's Mm -hmm. done some amazing work. I think of Nancy Lee DeMoss, now Wolgamuth, um, but she was you know single for most of her most of her life um and there are more where you see them and you're like okay so is God using them for his mm-hmm. kingdom? Are they able to fully live for him or are they only half? Are they an incomplete yeah. person, you know? And so I would see them and I I really came to this point of realizing like, no, I am an image bearer of God. I am made in the image of Christ and I can hold these two things in a balance. I can uphold marriage and children and celebrate that if God, you know, brings that into my friend's life. And if God chooses to bring that into my life, I can be very open and have a humble heart about that and say, I, I uphold this. I see God upholds this, but I can also in the other hand, and say, God, I am your servant. I am here to do your will. And if that means doing it as a single woman, because you see that I can serve you best in that way, that I can impact others and you know share your truth with others as a single woman, then I'll do that. So I think it's the, the most important thing to do is to have open hands, a humble heart like Mary from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And say, um, God, I I am your servant. You know, behold, I'll, I am a yeah, servant of the Lord. <laughs> I will do your will. And um, you know, that's for me. I know when a lot of freedom came into my life when I still upheld marriage and say, God, I would love that yeah. if you gave it to me. I see the beauty in that, but I also know that that's not uh, something you give to everyone. And so, I I'm I'm your servant. What what do you want me to do? Yeah. You know. And it's it's actually extremely destructive. Like for this to be, and I'll share personally how this affected me. If marriage and motherhood is the, your greatest goal, like as a Christian. Yeah. You're like, this is my highest calling. This is my greatest goal. It becomes an idol. Yeah. And even if if you get it, it destroys you. And if you don't get it, it destroys you. Because when it's an idol, you will worship and serve that thing and expect your fulfillment and purpose to come from that idol, yeah. right? And so if you don't get marriage, it destroys you because now your greatest purpose, your idol, like you can't fulfill that. So you feel so unfulfilled, so discontent. If you do get it, it's your idol, right? And so now in your marriage, you're looking to your husband sure. to be your ultimate satisfaction, to be your ultimate purpose for this yeah. relationship to somehow fulfill you in the deepest possible way. And every married woman will say, amen, that's not the case. Like, yeah. We know God didn't design our husbands to fulfill us in every way. Yeah. So having this- Not empl- a knock on husbands because no! they just, they're not a, like they are, God did not create any human to fully satisfy yeah. any human or anything. He is the only one. Yeah. So your husband can literally be the, you could have like the number one husband in the entire the godliest world. godliest man. You could have literally the hunkiest, the hottest, the most godly. <laughs> is that, did and you just still, say I know, I don't know. 90s, I don't know. You know, and still he could not fulfill you. So it's like by saying like this, you are my everything. You're putting yeah. a responsibility on his head mm-hmm. that he is destined to fail you in because he oh, was he never meant to do that. Only God is. He's so like, it's not no knock on husbands. Husbands, we have amazing husbands and yeah. we love them greatly, but we know that our satisfaction can only come from Christ. Yeah, exactly. They can't be our Jesus. So the way I saw this when I got married is I think I did have some of that like, wow, this is such a blessing. And oh man, I feel like really fulfilled in this marriage. And, you know, as time went on and Zach and I weren't able to have kids and then got pregnant, had a miscarriage, I really wrestled in my heart of like, 
okay, yeah. this thing that I know scripture calls a big blessing, um, having children, children are a heritage, a blessing from the Lord. We see all these passages like, I'm trying to produce, you know, we see yes. Genesis like, be fruitful, fill the earth. Like, I'm trying to, God, what's the deal? And for, for me, sure. it was such a wrestle of like, okay, I never thought I was finding my identity in entering that season of motherhood, but I really was way yeah. more um, than I ever realized when it wasn't happening. And I really, for over years, and I mean, I shared all about this in last week's episode. Episode number five. Uh, episode five, check it out. I share all about my journey of infertility and miscarriage and trusting God and like wrestling through everything. But for me, I really had to come to the place of, like you were saying with marriage, like, am I complete in Christ yeah. if I'm never able to have kids? Am I full in Christ? Am I, um, can I fully serve God, fully worship Him and really thrive? and live yeah. an abundant life if I never get the gift of children. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by God's grace, yes, I can. Like, I've seen that in Scripture. Like, I know my greatest purpose wasn't to get married yeah. and isn't to have children, whether that ever happens or not someday. My greatest purpose is to glorify God, and yeah. I can do that right now and be fruitful. Yeah. You know, God created us as women, like you said in the beginning, to be able to bear children. It's a unique distinction about womanhood that manhood biologically, that's not what God gifted them to do. And so— I think that speaks to a deeper, um, a deeper meaning in our womanhood. We talk about this in yeah. our book, Girl Defined, but God is calling us to be fruitful women, yeah. right? And whether that's physically or spiritually, um, that is a blessing and a gift. And if God doesn't gift me with being able to produce physical children, there are so many opportunities to produce spiritual children, for sure. to be fruitful for God's kingdom, to fully live out my purpose of glorifying God and building his kingdom in producing spiritual children yeah. to still, and then to cheer other women on for to sure. say, I'm not given this, but like, okay, you are, you have little Davy Jr. And I love him so much. <laughs> Like, I can cheer you on instead yeah. of becoming bitter because I know this isn't my greatest calling. Yeah, this isn't my sure. greatest purpose. And so even if I don't get it, I can still cheer yeah. on other women who are getting it because I know that's God's story for yeah. them. Well, and the Great Commission is all about making disciples. And whether that's through physical children that God gives you or just the people that God has put in your life, that should be our greatest goal. And no human yeah. soul is more valuable than the other. So I think it's having that heart. And when you have that posture of humility and that heart of saying, God, I want to do your will in whatever way you see fit, our agenda becomes so much less about what we want, what we think the Bible should say, and we're so much more open mm. to what God actually says and what His, you know, His specific path for us is. We're not trying to contrive and manipulate things because it's not about us. It's not about making our names great. And so I think all of this comes to a head with this one question, like, what is your life about? Is it about glorifying God and building His kingdom, or are you about glorifying yourself and building your kingdom? Mm -hmm. And if you are about glorifying yourself, making your name great, making your kingdom great, you are going to wrestle greatly and struggle against God's word. And you will always be swinging from one extreme to the other, following one idea to the next, because you will be about yourself and your name and your truth and all of these popular trendy things that are so against God's words. And so as Christians, if we want to live in true freedom, it's not about thinking about ourselves more. It's not about focusing on ourselves more. It's about surrendering that and saying, God, my eyes are off of me and they are now on you. My life is about you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. And I am open to what your word says. I am humble and open to living it out in the way that you see fit. Mm. 2 Corinthians 5.9 is a verse I go back to a lot, but it hits this exactly on the head. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Mm. And I love this because it's saying whether we are at home or away, like, wait, what does that mean? And it's alluding to the fact that this earth isn't our home, For um, sure. that our real home is in heaven. So whether we are in our real home, in heaven with God, where we're going to spend all of eternity with him or away, you know, right now we're called to be ambassadors in this world. We're just passing through. We're like a vapor, like a wave, like the Psalms talk about. We're just passing through. This is not our real home. 
home, but this passage is saying whether we're in heaven or on earth, we make it our aim to please him. That's our aim. That's our biggest purpose. And everything that we do as women and how we read scripture and how we interpret it and how we interpret culture and how as we watch, we see these movies, we see we see social media, we see so many beliefs, different politics, and we're going, ah, like my head is spinning. This is crazy. Things are getting crazier by the day. Our greatest aim isn't to just go with the trends or do what's popular or just try to fit in. Our greatest aim on this earth and in heaven is to please God, absolutely, to glorify him. And that really is a laying of self aside yeah. and saying, God, your will, like Mary, mm-hmm. like, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. You do with my life as you yeah. see fit. I am here for your glory. And in that, like you said, there's so much freedom, so much beauty. We're able to embrace biblical womanhood rightly yeah. as we study it because we're not approaching God's word with our agenda. We're approaching sure. God's word humbly and saying, God, what's your agenda? Yeah. And help me to live that out. And when we do, we glorify God most. I truly believe we experience um, an abundance relationship with him, which brings so much life and joy and purpose and hope um, because we're living for the one who created us. And that's what we were designed to do. Absolutely. And you know, this has been a great conversation. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Maybe learned something. We're convicted, challenged. And again, if you want to see this go on and you're like, yeah, I like I like hearing so- topics like this. Like, I want more of this. Leave us a five-star review so that this message can continue on so that others can see, wow, people actually like this. Remember, we're bold with the things we don't like and we often share our complaints loudly, but we're shy sometimes to speak up for the things we do love. So if you do love this, please be bold and share about it. Uh, text this to a friend, share it with them. And again, I want to invite you to join us If you like this and you want to go deeper, we have an eight-week mentorship course, which is basically eight weeks where you get to spend with us going through over 40 videos that we've created, digging deep into topics. You get to spend weekly Zoom calls with us face-to-face, asking questions, wrestling with these in a more personal way. You get to be with us in a private Facebook group along with other sisters in Christ from around the world, sharing prayer requests, building community, something that I know we all desperately need right now. Mm. Registration for this course is open right now, but it closes January 10th and it's closed for good. So if you want to join this, if you're like, yes, I I want to make a change. I want to dig deep. I want my future to look different. I encourage you to register. You can go to girldefined.com slash mentorship. That's girldefined.com slash mentorship. And we will um, hopefully see you in January. And until then, we will see you in episode seven.